In 2009, a pastor received the following message on his Facebook page from a man named Wes. And Wes was in his early 40s, and he wrote, I don't know if you have any good Facebook stories. And he said, I think I've got a good one for you. I'm not exactly why I'm writing to you, but I have felt compelled by God to tell you my story. I've known that I was adopted all my life. I was raised by two Christian parents. They were terrific. I loved them. They loved me. And now in my 40s, I'm happily married. I have a few children of, of my own, and I love them dearly. I never had the desire to seek out my birth parents, except a couple years ago. I was attending a Christian retreat. One of the speakers was an older man. He told about the time as a, uh, as a young man he got his girlfriend pregnant, and he secretly gave that child up for adoption. He explained that he had lived with constant guilt that eventually caused him to have a very hard heart, that caused him to become very bitter and angry at God. But he said, one day my daughter contacted me and told me that she forgave me and God also forgave me. She went on to say that she had put her faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus made a difference in her life, that Jesus could make a difference in my life as well. Well, guess what? This man did that very thing. He placed his faith in Christ and his life changed and he talked about the freedom and the healing that he found. That story made Wes think about his own situation. He wondered if it would help his birth parents to know that he was doing okay. He was able to locate his birth father in the family tree, and he contacted him. But Wes said, man, it became clear right away, my dad was carrying a lot of baggage. Man, he... You could, just, you could just feel the guilt and the pain oozing out of him on the, on the phone. And so he said, I decided not to push it any farther because I didn't want to interfere in his life or complicate life anymore for him. But he said something else happened recently. My wife and I, Wes is talking, were watching television one night and a church program came on. And out of the blue, my wife yelled out, Hey, Wes, that's your cousin talking on the television screen. She's talking about you. She's talking about your story. Well, Wes said, My wife knew a lot more about my family tree than I did because she was the one researching my background. And so... It resonated with her when this person was talking about me. He said, I can't believe it. So he would Google searched um, and realized that his wife was, in fact, correct. This is what Wes wrote on that Facebook page to the pastor. I hope you're not too shocked, but your Uncle Dave is my birth father. I picked you to contact first because as a pastor, I thought you might be used to giving counsel on very difficult situations. 
I know that I also have a sister, but I don't know if she knows about me. I don't want to stir the family pot and create problems or difficult situations. But like I said, I felt like God compelled me to reach out to you. Well, when the pastor read that Facebook message, immediately things started making sense in his own personal life. You see, Uncle Dave had influenced this pastor's life. Uncle Dave taught him how to water ski. Uncle Dave taught him a little bit of karate. But as this pastor got older, he began to realize that there was something weighing on Uncle Dave. He could see it in his eyes. He was carrying a lot of guilt. It was written all over him. It seemed like Uncle Dave was keeping a secret. It looked like Uncle Dave was just physically worn out. And so this pastor talked about how Uncle Dave somehow missed the grace when his girlfriend became pregnant. That grace from God that he shouldn't have missed. Why? Because Dave and his girlfriend grew up in a church environment. In fact, his girlfriend's father was a pastor. But evidently, that grace had never been communicated to Dave or his girlfriend. And so Dave has been carrying around this guilt and shame, this secret for decades that was taking a toll on David's heart. And so when the secret came out, Uncle Dave's son, you know, there he is. He's got a son. Uh, It was overwhelming for him. You know, Uncle Dave lived in fear for decades of people finding out sometime, you know. Lived in fear. What would my dad, his older brother, say? What would his parents, my grandparents say? How would they respond to this secret? What about his daughter, my cousin? You know, she had grown up as an only child. She always wanted a brother, but he never told her. He never told anyone. What about Wes? What about Wes? My Uncle Dave had to think that his son, Wes, would be ticked off at him for keeping the secret, that Wes could feel abandoned, that Wes could feel rejected his entire life. But now there was no hiding, man. It, it, It came out. You know what? Sometimes our sin is the same way. We're in denial. Our pride blinds us to the fact that we need to keep it a secret. We, um, we can't deal with what we've done. So we do our best, you know, to think about the mistakes we've made, the sins we've committed, and we do our very best staying away from God. Because what would happen if God found out? Well, the secret is God knows. He knows everything. In fact, God knows everything about you, and he loves you the most. Think about that. How could God forgive me when I can't forgive myself? There's a lot of people walking around like that. That's how Uncle Dave was living. Just like Adam and Eve in the garden, man, they they loved hanging out with God. But when they sinned, what did they do? Their first response was to hide from God. You know, we as followers of Christ are so good at that, aren't we? Hiding from God. We, we, we think what we do in secret, God doesn't know about, which isn't true. Shame becomes our constant companion, and that little voice in the back of our head keeps whispering to us, you're not worthy to be forgiven. 
You don't deserve a second chance. Now, this morning, there are people in this room that have been living their lives on the sidelines in the bleachers because they don't feel like God could ever forgive them, that God could ever use them. And so they, they stand off to the side, you know, I'm not good enough. God could never, my life is a mess. And they make all of these excuses. Can, this morning, the prelude to Christmas, friends, the walls are going to come down today because the truth of God's word is going to be presented. Those chains that have held you for decades are going to break and you're going to be set free. And you will become fully engaged in being a follower of Jesus Christ once and for all. Don't you think it's time for that to happen? On the back of your program, we're going to take a look at Matthew chapter 1. It's, uh, it's under subpoint 3, and so you can, you can follow along, or if you have your Bibles, by all means, jump right in. Matthew 1, starting at verse 1, we're going to read the first six verses. This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, a descendant of David, and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac was the father of Jacob. Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron was the father of Ram. Ram was the father of Amminadab. Amminadab was the father of Nashon. Nashon was the father of Salmon. Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. And you're thinking, what in the world is this doing in the Bible? For all of you folks out there that have a Bible reading plan, you know that Matthew 1 is in that plan. And that's when you become engaged in your Evelyn Wood speed reading course to zip through those first 16 verses, man, because it gets a little messy, right? But you have to know something. Matthew, who wrote this, wrote this on purpose. And he wrote it to you and he wrote it to me because it's life-changing. Yes, this genealogy is life-changing. And... As we allow this truth to settle in this morning, I believe, I believe um, we will become excited and engaged in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for every person in this room this morning, Lord. You handmade each one of us. You knitted us together on purpose. We're not mistakes. We're not second choices. No, Lord, you, you created us. You wrote a book about us. You breathe life into our nostrils. You have a plan and purpose for everyone here. And Lord, we get it. There's a war raging because maybe of our past mistakes or past sins have, have created a dark cloud around us. And so we've lived in fear, shame, and guilt. But today, Lord, we're trusting you by the power of your spirit 
to put great light into those dark places and set the captives free. We're trusting you, Lord, to do a good work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You'll see the title of today's talk, The Christmas Family, Not a Tree. <laughs> and the, the sub point, Jesus displays the bad apples of his family tree. And uh, listen, we can all identify with our family trees, the, the bad apples, the, the knots, the skeletons in the closets, can't we? Just let your imagination go now for a few moments. When you think of somebody in your family that's in your family tree, that's a knot, that's a skeleton, or a bad apple, who, who comes to mind? What, what relative, what face stares right back at you? And so I, can, I go back to, to my, my childhood, and um, my dad's side was the, they had all the knots, my dad's family tree, they had all the bad apples. My dad's side of the family, all the skeletons in the closets, man, they were messed up. We, we never went to visit them, hardly, you know, very rarely. Uh, we always went to my mom's side because they had it together. That face come to your mind yet? Huh? You, you see the pic? Hey, maybe you're looking at yourself. Huh? Maybe... Maybe you're the one that's the bad apple. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're the knot in the family tree. Mm. It's possible. It's possible. And so as, as we look at Matthew 1, something incredible is happening because when you, when you close the Old Testament, there's 400 years of silence before Matthew is being, being created. 400 years of silence. God's kind of hit the pause button in communicating to the world. He's said enough. And there's enough prophecies. 330 prophecies have been foretold about the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. How many of you know 330 is a lot? Huh? It's more than five. It's more than 25, right? 330. And can I tell you a little secret? All 330 were fulfilled. Man, the odds of that happening are incredible. But you can trust God's word. It is true. And so, as Matthew is writing this, he's, he doesn't just jump into the Christmas message, you know. How sweet, you know, Mary and Joseph and the sheep. And the shepherds and the wise men. He doesn't, no, no, he goes into this genealogy. The part that we like to skip over. But can I tell you something? When we skip over this genealogy of Jesus and all the family knots and all the bad apples in this family tree, we're missing out so much. And so Jesus displays the bad apples of his family tree right here. Number one in your notes, God's gift of grace. This is the Christmas message, God's gift of grace, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. God saved you by his grace when you believed. You believed what? You believed that Jesus died for you. 
that Jesus took your place on the cross. Jesus paid for your sin debt. Jesus is who he said he was. That's what Paul is writing about when you believed. And you can't take credit for it because why? It's a Christmas gift from God. That's what Paul says. It's a gift. It's free. Salvation's not a reward for all the good things we've done, so none of us can boast about it. And we humans, we, we, we kind of get on a roll and we pat ourselves on the back and we put our nose up in the air and we think, man, God is, what a privilege God is that he has me for a son or daughter, you know? We get so heady about it. Yesterday, I spent most of the day listening to Christmas carols. And I listened to old, uh, newer ones, every, everything in between. And there was one carol that went into this, the, this, the lyrics that I, I had to keep going back and, and replaying because it, man, it just gripped me. And it said, he, talking about Jesus, will not rest until your salvation shines. Jesus will not rest until your salvation shines. In other words, Jesus is pursuing you. The grace of God is chasing after you. That's what it's doing. The grace of God won't let you go. And we see it evidenced in Matthew 1 with all of these names and people that were mentioned in the family tree of God. The grace of God chased them down and made a difference in their lives. And so um, when, when this grace of God catches up with us, we need to pause and think, I need to be truthful about my sin. When I think about Dave, uh, knowing that he had a son somewhere, bearing that for decades, um, he lived a life... It was a life that God did not plan for him, you know. He should have taken that to the Lord, experienced forgiveness and the grace of God and gone on. But we need to collide the truth of grace with the truth of my sin. You know, if we're good at bearing and throwing it under the rug and, and slamming it in a closet and closing the door and hope it goes away, we can't do that. We have to put it on the table. That's why Matthew right here, when he, he's exposing these names and this genealogy of Jesus, he's putting their past on the table to expose the great grace of God. Yeah. We will not experience that great grace of God until we put our sin on the table and experience his forgiveness. And so Jesus might be confronting you and I this morning like, hey, your short temper keeps everyone around you on edge and bitterness toward you is growing in your family. What are you going to do about it? Your drinking's gotten out of control. It's affecting a lot more people than just you. Your porn problem is killing any chance of intimacy that you might have in your marriage. You're going deeper into debt to feel better about yourself, but it's not going to satisfy you. What are you going to do about it? Your self-righteous, legalistic attitude is causing people at work to stay away from you. What are you going to do about it? See, that... Jesus has a way of dealing with us on an individual basis. We need to be truthful. We need to be honest. 
That's the cool thing, man. When you, when you rest in God's presence, when you read his word and allow him to speak back, God taps you on the shoulder to let you know areas that need to be tweaked, right? A sin that needs to be confessed. And you experience God's grace in the meantime. Now, the cool thing again about Matthew 1, it's not fabricated. You know, it's not dusted off. It's not uh, fresh paint on it. You know, all the bad went away. It's the good, the bad, and the ugly are all sitting on the table. For everyone, you and I, even this morning, December 22nd, 2019, we're reading and seeing the mess in Jesus' family tree. Romans 3.23 says, Everyone sinned, we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Everybody sinned. Everybody sinned in Jesus' family tree. Jesus didn't sin, but everybody in that family tree, they had that in common. They were all sinners who needed to experience God's grace. In fact, Mary, the mother of Jesus, she herself recognized that she needed a Savior. She says in Luke 147, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. So she's not promoting herself. Man, whoo, I got picked out of all the ladies in the world, you know. My picture could be on Time Magazine. No, 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 no. She recognized her need for a Savior because she needed forgiveness like you and I. Number two, the invasion from heaven. So this gift of grace is being extended, and how is it coming? The invasion from heaven, Galatians 4, 4 through 7. What's that about? Here's a secret, friends. But it's not a secret, because this is what Christmas is all about. God wants your name on his family tree. I want you to think about that. God wants your name on his family tree. He wants you included in Matthew 1. Isn't that cool? Now, that would have been a good yo spot right there. Good yo. Right? Where's the dudes, man? They should have jumped right on that. Think about that. God loves you so much, he wants your name on his family tree. Isn't that amazing? It's amazing. And so, so Galatians 4 tells us all about it. When the right time came, God sent a son born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom. That's freedom for what? Freedom for us, that's you and me, who were slaves to the law. We were slaves to sin. Why? So that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Father, I love you because I realize how much you love me. Verse 7, you are no longer a slave but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. What's Paul writing about? God's put your name on his family tree when you put your faith in him. Isn't that exciting? Your name is on God's family tree when you put your faith in Christ. 
Man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to that tree. Find my name. You think it's alphabetical order? Or is God going to mess with you, man? <laughs> yeah. The invasion from heaven in God's perfect timing, he sent his son to invade this planet. Why? Because he wants you and your name on his family tree. That, listen, we, we can get a little Christmassy here this morning and sing that carol, Joy to the World, because that fits right there. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The, let the earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. All heaven and nature singing out for the redeemed, man. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. My name is on the family tree by the grace of God. By the grace of God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Well, joy to the world. Uh, you might be thinking, yeah, uh, but you don't know my family, man. My family is so messed up that that could never happen. Well, there's a guy in uh, Rock Springs, Wyoming, and his curiosity got the best of him, and he opened his gift from his wife before Christmas. His wife was so ticked off at him, she stabbed him with a kitchen knife. How do you like that? Oh, you guys are going to have to wear armor around now, body armor. Now, that's some family problems, right? That's some dysfunction going on right there. Can I tell you a secret? Even Jesus had a dysfunctional family. That should make you feel better. Because sometimes we think our family has to be perfect, you know? We've got to have everything lined up. No, 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 no. Even Jesus' family was dysfunctional. In John 7, 2 and 3, it says, But soon it was time for the Jewish festival of shelters, and Jesus' brother said to him, Leave here and go to Judea where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. What are they doing? They're mocking him. And you can imagine when they were growing up, his siblings sitting around the table, they're throwing spitballs at Jesus, you know? Like, who do you think you are? The firstborn? Yeah, I'm the firstborn. You know how brothers can be, man. They, they gave Jesus all kinds of grief growing up. And now even as adults here, they're, they're come on, leave here, Jesus. Get on with it. You're hiding. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you, if you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. They're mocking him. And then verse 5 says, for even his brothers didn't believe in him. They didn't believe in him. They did later on, but at this point in time in John 7, no, man, they, they, it was dysfunctional. It was messed up. And so the invasion from heaven came to make a difference. And Galatians 4.4 gives us that picture that God in his perfect timing sent his son, Jesus, to come as a baby. Why? Because he wants your name on his family tree. Number three, knots on Jesus' family tree for me. Jesus is exposing all his family knots and bad apples on his family tree to you and to me to encourage us 
to experience his grace, just like every single one of these folks did in Matthew 1. We already read, we already read those verses, didn't we? And so, remember what we read, and we'll move on. Is that okay? Should we take a vote? Everybody good to move on? You want to read them again? <laughs> this is a record of the ancestors of Jesus the Messiah, and you could read the rest. Skipping these names, reading past them, we miss out on really the truth of what Jesus is saying. Genealogy of Matthew 1. It's the prelude to the Christmas story. Why? Because, because this is what you and I were in. In Ephesians 2, 12, it says, you lived in this world without God and without hope. Before Jesus came as the Savior of the world. We were living a hopeless life, empty. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But in Matthew one twenty one, here's the declaration of why Jesus came. You are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. He will save their peop- his people from their sins. Jesus' name means the Lord saves, man. The Lord saves. The longer I've been a follower of Christ, man, the more excited I am about the Lord saves. Because my name's on the family tree. I've been adopted into God's family. He calls me son. He's given me an inheritance waiting in heaven, man. Uh, It's great news. It's it's the great Christmas message. So let's dissect these, these names, shall we? Uh, just a little secret we'll pass on. We're not going to do all of them this morning. You know, aren't you glad for that? Well, we're going to isolate a few, but you'll get the point. Number one, we're going to hit Abraham. Abraham, uh, what is Abraham known for? He's a doubter and a liar. And he's on God's family tree. Verse 1 and 2, this is the record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Now, Abraham is, he was the man in Jewish history. He's considered the father of the Jews and father of faith. But he lied twice about his wife, calling her his sister. Why? Because he wanted to save his skin. He was a coward. And he lied about it to people in authority. And then when God told him that he was going to have a a son that would lead the nation, he he, he wasn't patient. And so he he had a concubine that he thought, this will work. I'll, I'll help God out, you know, this great man of faith. So he's a doubter and a liar. Number two, Jacob. Jacob is a deceiver and a cheater. Jacob's name means deceiver. That's pretty accurate. He tricked his older brother Esau out of his birthright. He deceived his father Isaac into giving him his blessing instead of Esau getting it, the firstborn. But isn't it interesting that God, in the midst of Jacob, 
Jacob has a time where he wrestles with God. God changes his name to Israel, which is the name of Israel today as a nation. Think about that. Do you see how God transforms? He takes the messed up stuff of life if we allow him and he'll make it into good. Three, Judah. He's a womanizer. Verse three, Judah was a father of Perez and Zerah whose mother was Tamar. Judah was the father-in-law of Tamar. Track with me. He was tricked by Tamar. Tamar dressed as a prostitute on the side of the road. Judah saw her as a prostitute, and he had sex with her, and she became pregnant, and she gave birth to Perez. Number four, Tamar. Tamar is Judah's daughter-in-law. Judah was the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. So how did this woman get on the family tree? You've got to read Genesis 38. It's a messy story. But God was able to redeem it. Tamar deceived. She dressed like a prostitute. Seduced Judah. And amazingly, by the grace of God, she's on that tree as well. Number five, Rahab. She's a prostitute. A prostitute. Verse five, Salmon was the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. Rahab was a professional prostitute inside the walls of Jericho. Now here's the deal. The nation of Israel is marching, and they're defeating nation after nation, and through the news on the web, uh, she, Rahab realizes, man, there's, there, there must be something about this God who's leading Israel. They're... they're, they're having victory after victory. This God that I've been worshiping and these gods that we worship inside Jericho, they're dead. There's nothing to them, man. They're made of stone and wood and, and my life is so empty. And by hearing the news that, that Israel was going to conquer Jericho, something inside of Rahab resonated that God, you are the one true God and I'm putting my faith in you. So when the two spies came in, she hid them in her home. And because she preserved those two spies, when Israel defeated Jericho, Rahab and her family's lives were spared. Now check this out. Boaz, no, I'm, I'm running ahead of myself. Rahab was the prostitute. She's the wife of Salmon, the mother of the godly Boaz. Man, you do a study on Boaz, that dude had it together spiritually. That's David's great-grandfather. Think about that. And then you have, you have Ruth, verse 5b. She's a Moabite. Now, what's bad about being a Moabite? We'll get to that in a minute. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed was the father of Jesse. So Tamar, Ruth, and Rahab, they're all Gentiles. They're not even Jews. In fact, in, in Jewish genealogy, women were never put in there. In Jewish culture, women were looked at as inferior. And here's Matthew making a point in this genealogy, and he's, he's dropping in four women's names, and three of them are Gentiles. They're not even Jewish. Why? Because Matthew's making a point, the great grace 
of God is chasing after you. Ruth marries a son from Naomi. Well, he dies, his brother dies, and his father die in Moab. Naomi says, I'm going to go back to Israel. You ladies stay here and find some new husbands. One of them says, okay. Ruth says, no, 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 no. Naomi, I know you're not a perfect mother-in-law, but there's something about you, about this God that you serve, I find a need to get to know. And in fact, in Ruth 1.16, she says, don't, Ruth says, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. She's making that declaration. I believe in the God of Israel. He's the one true God. So let's go back to Moab. What's, what's the big deal? Ruth is a Moabite. Remember Lot when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed? Lot's wife was, you know, she looked back, she became a pillar of salt. Well, in the hills, Lot and his two daughters had sexual intimacy. His oldest daughter became pregnant from Lot. Incest. That son was named Moab. That's where the Moabites came from. They were hated by Israel. And now, Ruth, a Moabite, is in God's family tree. Are you seeing something here this morning? Hmm? Then we have David, number seven. He's an adulterer and a murderer. Verse six, Jesse was the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. It's interesting that Matthew puts... You know, Bathsheba, her husband was David. Well, that, all, that did happen, but prior to that, she was married to Uriah. So Matthew's not hiding the scandal that took place in Israel. He's putting it right on the table, putting all the light, the cameras on it, so that you and I can realize, once again, the great grace of God. David killed Goliath as a teenager, He became king of Israel. In a time of battle, his men were on the battlefield and David stayed back. Bathsheba was taking a bath one day. Now, he had an affair with Bathsheba. She became pregnant. There was a cover-up. And ultimately, a murder of Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. David placed Uriah on the front lines on the battlefield so he knew his life expectancy was about zero. And the fact that it came to be, he died. So David not only stole a man's wife, he stole a man's life. He had Uriah deliberately killed to cover up his sin. And then we have Bathsheba, number eight. An adulteress. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother was Bathsheba, the widow of Uriah. A lot of commentators put all the blame on David, but friends, let's be realistic. What is a woman bathing in front of other men for? You know? Just something to think about. She went along with it, and she went along with the scandal to cover up this thing. So she's not as innocent as you may think. And yet, 
Bathsheba was the mother. Uh, David was the father of Solomon, as, as was Bathsheba, going right down that family tree. So, anybody here still thinking, I don't think God can use me? <laughs> I don't think so, man. Uh, I've made too many mistakes. I don't see how God could take all the messes of my life and turn it into good. Well, hopefully, hopefully, uh, in the next couple of minutes, it resonates with you. Number four, Christmas hope for me, Matthew 1, 18, 21. Christmas hope for me. This is what Christmas is all about. This is why Matthew wrote about the family tree. This is how Jesus, the Messiah, was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 21, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now, once again, we are reminded of the family tree of Jesus on the table, not to just expose their sins, but to put the light on the great grace of God. So when you experience the grace of God, do you live your life? I can sin because I know God's going to forgive me. And so you live your life, sin, confess, sin, confess, sin, confess. Isn't that fun? No, you never become all that God has for you when you live a life that's compromised like that. Even though these people on, on Jesus' family tree sinned, they went to God for forgiveness, and God reconciled them, and he used them. And that's what God wants to do in your life, in my life. He will save his people from their sins. So that doesn't mean, you know, that we just say, well, God's grace is so big and great, I can sin. No, no, no. Paul dealt with that in, in Romans 6, 1 and 2. Well, then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more of his wonderful grace? That's what Paul's submitting to the church. Hey, hey, can I just keep on sinning? No. He answers this question in verse 2, of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? In other words, when we experience the grace and forgiveness of God, that's the motivation to say, Lord, I need your power and your strength to resist temptation because I want to live my life honoring to you. I realize how much you love me because your grace has been dispensed freely to me. I don't deserve it. But you've forgiven me. And you call me son. And you call me daughter. And so therefore, I don't want to do anything in my life that hurts you. That's what Paul is saying. And that's liberating. So, Matthew, a tax collector, hated Hated by the Jews, Jesus comes knocking at his tax booth, man, and says, come follow me, Matthew. And Matthew did that. He experienced God's grace in his life, and so therefore, he has the privilege of writing this family tree in Matthew 1. Going back, going back to Uncle Dave, remember him? Remember Wes? Yes? Wes, Uncle Dave, remember those guys? We didn't forget about them. We didn't leave them in the, in the desert. 
After the truth came out, Wes and his father David began talking. And after a few months, they decided to meet for the first time, meet face to face. In fact, that event turned into a a family reunion. The grandparents, other extended family members showed up. Uh, They were excited to meet Wes for the first time. And so you've got the family standing in the driveway watching Wes pull up in the car with his family. And Uncle Dave, Wes's father, walking nervously. You can imagine the emotion as he walked up to that car. And Wes stepped out. And the family wiping their tears from their eyes as they watched a father and son embrace for the very first time. And Wes gave his father a gift. It was a watch. And on the back of that watch were engraved two words that said, pure grace. Pure grace. Why? Because Wes forgave Dave, his father. Why? Because Wes had been forgiven by his heavenly father. Grace extends grace. Pure grace. And so the weight and the shame that David had been carrying for decades fell off. And the family began to realize they never heard Dave say this to them before. But every time Dave would leave, he would say, I love you. Never said I love you to any of the family before. Well, Dave's become active in his church. He's become close friends to his pastor. This story is told because Dave gave permission for it to be written. And this is what he says. Please feel free to share my situation in any way that will express God's love, mercy, and amazing grace to anyone who needs it. Do you need it this morning? Hmm? Do you need that amazing grace this morning in your life? Can you identify with Dave this morning? You've, you've buried secrets. You're hoping nobody finds out. You're, you've been living a life of shame and guilt, and that cloud of darkness has followed you wherever you go, and you've got that little voice in the back of your head that says God could never forgive you. God could never use you. Not true. Because it's been proven in the family tree of Jesus. Father, we thank you this morning for this great Christmas message that is so liberating to so many followers of Christ who live their entire lives in the shadows because they're They feel unworthy. They don't feel like, God, you could ever use them because they've messed up so many times. Well, we've we've seen it proven this morning with just a few names on that family tree of Jesus where God redeemed their sins. He redeemed their mistakes and made good come out of it. 
I pray for that to happen this morning, Lord. In the lives of every person in this room, those that have been holding back with you, those that have been sitting in the bleachers or on the sidelines because they just don't feel qualified. They don't feel good enough. Lord, as we've listened about your grace this morning, I pray you will tap the shoulders of those individuals that have been hiding in the shadows, saying, my grace is chasing you down on this Sunday morning once and for all. The God who knows everything about you loves you the most. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord. And this morning, we confess to you that we've been holding back long enough We've been making excuses. We've been procrastinating with dealing with the truth. We've been hiding our mistakes. Lord, this morning, we put them on the table and release them to you in Jesus' name. We say, Lord, forgive me for not trusting you to forgive me. Forgive me for not embracing your grace. The great gift of grace. As you look me in the eyes, Lord, as you look each one of us in the eyes, my son, my daughter, you're on my family tree. situation. Let him talk to you and you can talk to him as the worship team sings.